I'm Laura Cox Kaplan. This is She Said, She Said. is an author, entrepreneur, culinary disruptor, and the creator of The Culinary Cure. Her passion for health and wellness came about after she hit rock bottom. She will tell us how she not only picked up the pieces of her life, but learned incredibly valuable insights about food. Her story and her advice will inform the way we think about food and its impact on all aspects of our lives. Kristen, welcome to She Said, She Said. I am so excited to be here. Thank you for having me, Laura. I'm so happy to have (laughs) you here. A little intimidated, frankly, because I so need your advice. And I am sure that lots of our listeners do as well. So I'm really, really happy to have you on the podcast. Well, food is powerful stuff, and I think people don't realize just what an impact it has on their lives. So to that end, let's talk a bit about that. People really do underestimate the power Mm -hmm. of food. Talk about what you learned in that regard. So my journey is kind of an interesting one. I have been in the food business since high school. Um, My mom had a shop in the town I grew up in, in Bronxville, New York. When I got to be about 16, my mother and I really should not have been working together in any capacity. So she farmed me out to a local caterer who was way ahead of Martha Stewart. She was doing all the Martha Stewart things before Martha Stewart was on the scene. So I got this early introduction to this changing culinary world, and it was really exciting, and it transformed my entire life. So food became this this core part of my life. So I was cooking for love and money. Food was celebratory, food was nourishing, food was community and education and family and all of those things. So as my life progressed, somehow I kind of got off track with food. It happened because I think my story is not unique. I think my story is universal for for women in many ways. You get out of college and you work and maybe you get find your life partner and you get married and all of a sudden you're sort of buying into this idea of what your life is going to be like and maybe you buy your first home and you're raising kids and you're still working most women really still want to keep that part of themselves going so you're still working but now you've taken on all these new responsibilities and interestingly enough women do tend to take on a lot of the responsibilities for the home, not just the kids, but the home and sort of the managing of this life. Of course, I was using food to feed my kids and nourish my kids, and I was making organic baby food and doing big holidays. And then there just came a point where everything in my life wasn't okay anymore. And there were you know, things I never imagined happening. Mm-hmm. You know, I... Um, I had always been sort of resilient and scrappy and and that kid who, you know, everybody would be like, oh, you know, ask Kristen, you know, she's she's a doer, she'll get it done. And um, I had a great track record in 
doing community service and my business and you know I was that go-to girl but things in my life that were beyond my control were getting bigger Mm. and I can't even exactly pinpoint when it was because these things are insidious these changes are just little and they just kind of creep in and now you've got three kids and you've got three kids in different schools and you're still working and um, for me you know my husband had a very demanding legal job so he wasn't around as much as might have been ideal and then all of a sudden it was like my parents started having some health issues we were having some financial issues things were just getting bigger than I was. I could no longer. So being one of those women who was always able to kind of juggle it all and keep all the balls in the air, I was starting to drop some balls. Mm-hmm. And what happens, and this is this is what happens to women all the time, we don't do the self-care. So we keep giving, 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 taking care of everybody else's needs, running around putting out these fires that other people have started, you know, (laughs) because we are the super fixers. And that is our badge of honor. So I'm still doing all of those things, but I'm I'm dropping the ball on me. I'm not holding me accountable. So Mm -hmm. guess what? I can't, I'm kind of like overwhelmed by my life. So I'm really not getting to the gym as much. And I'm probably having more wine than I should in the evening and maybe a little more caffeine during the day. And well, then the, you know, the last kid goes off to college and all of a sudden you are confronted with your life and there's no more distractions that can hide the things that are broken or aren't working. So all of a sudden I am a woman on fire and that's where I found myself all of a sudden There were so many things that were bigger than me that I couldn't fix. Mm -hmm. Was there a moment that you remember when it really crystallized? (laughs) When I got my cancer diagnosis, Mm -hmm. that's a big moment. Um, I had thyroid cancer, which might not be unusual considering you spend a decade living in fight or flight mode. Right. And what's happened is, is you've got literally cortisol shooting through your endocrine system consistently. And your endocrine system can only do so much. You cannot live in this elevated state for decades. You just can't do it. Something's got to give. So so I had these sort of parallel worlds. I had this demanding family life with these kids. You know, I had a... um, a child who was an actor, so I'm driving up to New York for auditions with her. I have a child in college playing Division One college sports. Yeah, I have another child trying to transfer colleges, and anyone who's ever done the college application process with kids knows it's a full-time job for mom. Yeah. You know? <laughs> it's terrifying. It's like, oh, no pressure. Um, and then I have this uh, this very busy husband, and my career has sort of had to take a back seat because I'm working full-time 24-7, managing my family and their lives. And my my mother's cancer has come back, and my father has now got Alzheimer's, and he's living in Florida. And I'm the oldest, and I'm a, a girl. So all of a sudden, there's just my world has gotten so big and so out of control, and I'm robbing Peter to pay Paul, and I'm on fire. And I'm not eating right and I'm not taking care of myself and women do this consistently in all different levels some some women just do it a little other women it's just full on their lives become kind of 
taking care of everybody else's stuff. Mm-hmm. I woke up one day and I was like, I can't, I cannot do this for one more day. I, I'm literally, <laughs> I literally can't do this for one more day because it will kill me. So you recognize that you've hit the bottom, that everything is out of control, that it's re- nothing's really working. How did you pivot? How, how, I mean, it's really hard. I mean, A, you can recognize it, but then taking the action of figuring out what the heck to do, especially if you're in a state where you're potentially a little depressed, maybe yeah. a lot depressed. Yeah. How did you turn it around? How did you yeah. figure out what to do? It's so amazing to me to look back because I just don't think of myself as being that person who had, my big world had sort of spiraled down into this really small world where when I'd wake up in the morning, my first thought was, I can't wait to go back to bed. There's a quote I love. It's an Arthur Ashe quote, and it's, start where you are, use what you have, do what you can. The finances were out of my control. My parents' health was out of my control. So the first thing I had to do was identify what could I control. And what all of us can always control is what's on the end of our fork, what we're doing with our body, who we're spending time with, the thoughts we allow in our heads. Just those little baby steps of just starting, just to be able to control and do one thing, once you do that, it's a snowball effect because we are resilient. Mm -hmm. We do not want to live in this sad, frustrated place. So I took control of what was on the end of my fork. And having used food my whole life, this was amazing, the transformation. Because once I started nourishing myself, taking care of what I was eating, I was I was doing more than that. I was nourishing my whole self. And food is so remarkable because once you start feeding your engine the right stuff, guess what? You start to feel good. <laughs> And you start to sleep better because this whole conundrum of, you know, how we eat and how we live and the stress. So here I am, this woman on fire. It was two kinds of fire. It Well, three, actually. The emotional, the spiritual, the physical fire, because I had created this inflammation in my body. And that is caused by eating the wrong food. It is caused by stress. It's caused by not relieving your stress, so not exercising. It's caused by this constant, I, I am terrible about this, and I've had to work really hard, but when you wake up at 2 in the morning and you're just catastrophizing, you're thinking these same thoughts over and over and over again in your head. Yeah. yeah. And, and you know, you start to believe your thoughts, and that's a sort of a dangerous place to be. I took my life back one bite at a time. It's a very empowering message that you're talking about, right? You're talking about you're not trying to control the external things. You're trying right. to control what you can control, which is very empowering. So you took this concept and you turned it into a business. You created a business. So talk about the culinary cure. My whole food is medicine philosophy. I was way ahead of the power curve on that. There were a lot of um, people who would kind of cross their eyes and be like, oh, really, Kristen? And now, of course, it's quite mainstream. We are understanding that food has the power to heal us, to fuel us in ways that give us more mental clarity, 
open up more bandwidth for us. And what's really happened is this food message has become very obscured in this convenience mentality that everybody has, where they think, you know, I don't have time for healthy food because that means I have to cook or that means I have to do things differently. But what we really do need to do is take control of food because it determines everything. It determines the kind of sleep you're having. Sleep is the only time that our body can generate human growth hormone. And if you're not sleeping well, then what's going to happen is you're going to lean more heavily on caffeine. And once you lean more heavily on caffeine, kind of skews your eating a little bit. You become a little dependent on that caffeine. And caffeine's dehydrating. So now you're affecting your water consumption. And it's very important for us to stay hydrated because staying hydrated helps us regulate eating properly. So you can see all these metabolic processes are interconnected. Marketing has influenced us to think, listen, if you see an advertisement for any kind of food, don't buy it. (laughs) If you can't identify it for what it should be, don't eat it. If it's not something your grandparents would have eaten, don't eat it. So food marketing has become an entire business aimed at children and you know, culinary decision makers. And people have become very convinced that they need all these shortcuts. When they don't need shortcuts, they need simple, a simple food plan mm-hmm. to get them the kind of energy and power power over their lives, their stress, their energy, their sleep, the way their body looks, their their mental state. And the easiest way to shop, cook, and eat is so simple that people just, they they can't believe that that's actually going to work for them. Let's talk about that a bit, because I'm one of those people who's sort of overwhelmed with not only what to feed myself, but what to feed my very picky children. And mm-hmm. frankly, my husband's rather picky as well. We end up getting too much takeout, which I know is just horrible. We all know it's horrible, but it is it is the time issue and sort of planning and knowing what right. to do. So so for someone like me who struggles with this, and I, I am sure I am not alone in this, where do you start? Yeah. Well, not having a plan is planning to fail. You really only need to get Monday through Friday under your belt. So you're only talking about five days because most people eat out on the weekends. It's a more relaxed schedule. Whatever your five days are. If you're a realtor, it might be, you know, Wednesday through Sunday. If you have a plan and you buy meals, not food, because Americans throw out 40% of the food they buy. And, And there's a reason for that. Food's cheap. So we don't really value it. So people need to be buying meals. You need to be buying less food, higher quality food, and having a plan for all the food you buy. Hmm. And it can be hard with kids, but you only need to find a couple of things that work for everybody. When my husband and I were growing up, I will tell you, Monday you had this, Tuesday you had that, Wednesday you had that, and nobody complained. We've gotten to this place where we think, oh, we have to have a different meal every night. And no, we j- Monday through Friday, your food, ha- there, there are only two kinds of food. 
There's functional food and there's celebratory food. Mm. And Monday through Friday, your food is functional. Give, give me the give me examples of the difference. So functional food is real food. It's food as close to its natural original state as possible. So it's not processed. It doesn't have added chemicals, fruits, vegetables, salad, plant-based foods. Exactly. Um, animal foods, but not processed animal foods, mushrooms, seafood, things like that. Celebratory food is the kind of stuff you eat on a weekend. It's food that has that we associate with treat yourself kind of thing. You know, it's it's that quick and easy food. It's it's the chemistry. It's not the calories of what you eat that matter so much. It's the chemical signaling that that food sends to your body. Every single thing you put in your mouth sends a message to your body to do something. And that's why these processed foods that have added chemicals and colorings and artificial sweeteners are so bad for us. The body does not know. It was never meant to eat them. Yeah, They're not foods that the body can recognize. So in turn, the body creates inflammation. So now we're all running around on fire, literally, because we have this low-level inflammatory response that's happening. Even if you don't feel it, you're still having it when you eat these foods. Interesting. So what we want to end, these foods create all these cravings. So things like dairy, sugar, and gluten all have an opiate-like effect on the brain, which means they're addictive. They make us want more of them. Yes, you can't eat just one. (laughs) And the chemicals that we don't really know what the chemicals are for, but they're in the food, they're preservatives and stabilizers and colorings and things like that, they also elicit this inflammatory response because the body's not supposed to eat them. So it's got to store them somewhere, usually stores them in your soft tissue, which also makes you hold on to extra weight. So it's a really bad cycle when you get off of putting the wrong kind of fuel into your engine. Because then the the body starts making you do things it's never you never intended to do. Right. So now you're craving, you eat sweet, you crave sweet. You eat foods that turn into sugar in your body like refined carbohydrates, you're gonna crave more. And you eat a lot of dairy. Honestly, cow's milk is for baby cows. So we don't need a lot of dairy. That's a marketing thing that We've been raised to think our kids need to be drinking all this milk. Let's talk about alcohol. You you mentioned alcohol earlier, but I know you have a particular point of view as it relates to wine. Um, so talk to me about good wine versus yeah. not good wine. And wine, women, and wellness is a tricky subject because, you know, alcohol can have some little benefits but too much is not great for us and it is linked to some cancers and other things so women need to be careful and anytime i speak in front of a group somebody raises their hand and they say well what about wine and my response is usually well i stopped drinking a lot of wine because i was having a lot of reactions to wine and so i wasn't enjoying wine much anymore so i started drinking tequila because tequila has unique sugars called agavins, Mm -hmm. and they don't spike your blood sugar, and they help regulate your insulin, and most people find they don't have as much day-after problems if they're drinking tequila. And then somebody would say, but I don't want tequila. (laughs) (laughs) 
I just want a glass of wine on Tuesday night at five o'clock. And I went to do some research on this because I didn't really have a good answer. And I wanted to make sure I knew what I was talking about. And what I found was shocking. Wine is dirty stuff. There's no label. Anybody who's ever bought wine knows there's nothing on the wine bottle that tells you what's really in it. Mm. So when we pick wine, we're either picking a varietal we like or we like the label or somebody recommended it. And what has started to happen, more and more people, myself included, have been having reactions to wine. Well, guess what? There's more than just wine in your wine bottle. Commercially produced wines can add up to 300 different chemicals to make your wine tasty. Added sugar across the board is put into commercially produced wines. Ever wonder why you drink a bottle of wine and you can buy that same bottle next year, it tastes exactly the same? Well, grapes change every year. They, they are different vine to vine, year to year. And what winemakers have been doing is they're playing with the sugar because they can. There's nothing on that label that has to say, oh, there's added sugar in your wine. So they can add sugar as much as 16 grams. That's a jelly donut. Yeah. So they can add sugar to the wine. So now what you've got is everybody thinks maybe if I have a glass of red wine, it's good for me. But guess what? It's potentially not good for you because now there's up to 300 added chemicals, There, there's added sugar, and grapes are dirty business because grapes are on the environmental working group's dirty dozen list. So now we're starting with produce, grapes, that are grown with more pesticides, herbicides, and fungicides than any other produce out there. So the grapes are dirty to begin with. We have just found out that the, vinifi- the vinification or winemaking process allows the winemaker to add sugar, add additional sulfites, add up to 300 chemicals, and then there are certain animal products that are allowed to be added because they're called fining agents. They actually clarify the wine and stabilize the wine, and that can include shellfish, fish bladders, gluten. So you might be allergic to shellfish and have a reaction to wine, and there's shellfish been used in the vinification process. Really? I know. It's horrible. So I Why I, don't people know this? Because That's shocking. Well, and and I will say right now there is an emerging awareness of this and you will be reading in Bon Appetit and Food and Wine. I just saw something that um, Aaron Silverman um, and BJ Lieberman, they're the um, the owner and the the chef, the executive chef at Pineapple and Pearls. They were doing a dinner and they were using all natural, natural wines. So natural wine is this new, it's it's really what you think you're buying. Mm-hmm. It's pure wine. It's wine with no added anything. It's organic from grape to glass. And where do you get it? Well, that was a problem too. So then you set out to to find natural wine. So I actually carry it on my website now because I could not find it in stores and there was nothing on the labels that showed me what was in the bottle. So um, being a girl's girl, I found a um, a woman-owned company. Um, she is a level three sommelier. She goes all over the world to these small organic family vineyards and sources this incredibly delicious natural wine. And if people have any concerns about, ooh, will I like natural wine? Will it taste good? 
she knows what we like to drink. So I can say that everything I've tasted has been absolutely delicious. So, and it's the way people want to shop now. You know, you can go onto my website, you can look at the wines, you set up an account, you order the wine, it gets delivered to your home. And that solves this dirty wine problem. And once you start drinking these clean, crafted, natural wines, you can taste the difference. There's no added sugar. You don't feel crappy. Sometimes I would feel bad after even one or two glasses of wine. I'm like, oh, this is not going to end well for me. So... So I started on the end of my fork, but it's kind of gotten me into into my into the glass as well. And 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 what I've done is I've I've taken what I've learned on my journey, and I want to help other women do the same thing. Nobody's sort of written this playbook for how you pull yourself out of a tough spot when that tough spot's your whole entire life. And if you just start with one thing you can control that will improve the way you feel, you can build on that. And that's what I did, and it's um, it's been incredibly rewarding to help other women and kind of put myself out there. And I'll tell you, it's it's a big deal for me because I, I do share my story, and um, it was it was tough. Yeah. And you just kind of need somebody to say, you know what? But you can do this. Nobody's holding you hostage, making you eat food that's going to make you feel bad. You can eat better. And then when you eat better and you start to feel better, guess what? You can get to the gym. And then you start to feel good about your body again. And and that helps release some of those good endorphins in your body. And then you get that better mental attitude. It's a fine dance between all these things. And women are doing so much. We do so much for our friends, our families, our children, our communities. And we need to support each other. And I really wanted to put myself out there and say you can if I can do this anybody can do this yeah. this is an entrepreneurial venture that you've launched <laughs> to work with clients you have uh, you're working on a video series can I say that you can <laughs> you can I um, you have a book yes uh, it's coming out it's coming out so you have a number of different things but it really started with that entrepreneurial spirit can you point to a particular skill set that you have that's made you very effective as an entrepreneur or something that really sort of helped you put the pieces together in that regard? That's a great question. And those of us that are entrepreneurs, my mom had her own shop in um, when I was growing up. And so she certainly showed me that by example. And I will say from a matter of convenience – when we had kids, I really wanted to be available to them. And so it seemed like the perfect time to tr- to pivot and make what I was doing something I could do out of my home. Mm-hmm. And so my first business, I had a congressional catering firm, and I catered congressional fundraisers for both sides of the aisle. And I really took it to a new level because I would get cookbooks from each district and really customize the food and make it rep- more than just crappy cocktail food. It was interesting food. You know, it was food that, that said something about the, the member of Congress. And then from there, when my mom, when her cancer came back, and that was really devastating, I really believed that food could do more for her. That's when I really turned to looking at the role food plays in our lives and 
I became, I started doing long before any of those Blue Apron and Sun Basket meals were out there, I created this healthy subscription meal service because I saw a need. People were saying, oh, you know, I just don't have time to eat healthy. Nobody should say those words. That should be your number one job every day is to make sure you eat healthy so you can do everything else you need to do. Mm-hmm. So I had this healthy subscription meal service, and I was doing most, mostly CrossFit athletes. I had busy professionals. And then I was, I was like, well, this is give a man a fish. This is not solving the problem. It's putting a Band-Aid on it. So I turned to the culinary coaching, where I would go into people's kitchens, which was shocking to them and um, exciting for me because I have the signature program that is a kitchen intervention. And my entire philosophy of why diets don't work and why people cannot change their eating habits to make them more healthful is that their kitchens are not a partner in this. Mm. Drill down on that. Okay. <laughs> so I suspect my kitchen. Well, is everybody's. Not my it's it's not your fault because nobody ever showed you how to set your kitchen up. Mm. So we have too much stuff in our kitchens. Nobody was buying one Cafalon pan. We were buying the set. Which meant, which meant we got things we didn't really need. Got it when we got married. Right. Everybody got the nine-piece or 12-piece set. Same with knives. Pinterest and magazines show us like these kitchens with counters that have all kinds of cute stuff on it. Get the stuff off your counters. Your, your kitchen has one purpose, and that is to prepare healthy, nutritious food. Food has one main purpose, and that is to fuel your life. So when those two things aren't in sync, it's almost impossible. You can go on a diet and you'll probably lose some weight. And when you go off the diet, you'll gain that weight back and then some. So my entire philosophy of the culinary cure is creating the conditions of life to support the life you want to live. So we go into the kitchen, we get rid of half the stuff. It's shocking when we start to go through the cabinets. It's like, oh, expired, expired, expired. We buy too much food. Again, it's back to the food's cheap. And we also have this mentality of scarcity, like, oh, we need all this food. There might be a snowstorm, Kristen. If there's a snowstorm, I guarantee you, you have enough food for, you know, a polar vortex that lasts a month. Nobody's going to starve. But still, I'm completely guilty of this. So we overbuy. We don't know what we have because we have so much stuff in our cabinets, we can't see what we have. So we have too much stuff. We have the wrong stuff. And then we don't have a plan. We don't have a simple plan. That's where I come in. And I help people reorganize their space, get rid of what they don't need. It's fine. You can have a panini press. You can have a popcorn popper. It just doesn't need to be in your kitchen. It could probably live in your garage for the amount of time you use it. So we get the kitchen stripped down to sort of this minimal state. And I I, I laugh a little bit because Marie Kondo is so popular right now. And I've actually been doing this for 15 years. And, you know, this sort of strip it down, get to the essentials, make it easy for people to live this uncomplicated life and relationship with food. Mm-hmm. So once we get the kitchen set up and then you get on this simple eating plan, and by the way, there are 160 recipes on my website that are designed for busy people. There's an eating plan you can get. I have a wonderful downloadable playbook that outlines 
the, the various areas where you can just make change starting today in your life. Because that's what people need to understand. Just do something today. Take one step in the right direction. When I'm working one-on-one with people, I'm only really helping one person. So that's where the book came from. That's where my Culinary Cure Masterclass came from. And in my Masterclass, I am going to walk people through how to do their own kitchen interventions. Because if you pay me, it's really expensive. I love to do it. I love nothing more than to do it. It's it's kind of my jam, and it, it excites me. And I know I can really help people. But people can also help themselves at a lower price point and, and make these dramatic changes. Yeah. Kristen, you've given us lots of advice across a number of fronts and great tips and suggestions. But if you had to boil it down to one single piece of advice, or maybe it's a life hack or a mantra, if you had to distill it down to just one, what would yours Ooh, be? That's, a, that's really tough. Well, I call myself a culinary disruptor because the advice I would give people is change the way, change what you think you know about food and think about food for what it is. Because mindless eating is the enemy of mindful health. The single most important thing you can do every day is nourish your body because if you don't have your health, nothing else matters. Anybody can do this. Anybody can take back control in this overwhelming feeling world and all this chaos and noise and so much information. You can just start with what's on the end of your fork. Just make today a good day and think about what you're eating. Is there any good takeout? Is there any way mm-hmm. to outsource having something brought in um, for those of us who really are yeah. challenged in the kitchen? <laughs> Even though you're going to tell yeah. me, no, no, you can yeah. do this. But is there anything that you can do from the standpoint of outsourcing that? that is well, when you, when, you break, when you break your week down into five days and two days, and you think of your weekends as more of that outsource time. I truly, and, and I'm not alone. I mean, you know, um, Mark Hyman, a lot of these other food as medicine people will tell you this. You really need to take control of what you're eating. And the only real way to do that is by buying your own food. And so it's like anything new. We all had to learn how to use computers and pump our own gas, we can go back to the life-supporting skill of assembling our meals. You don't have to be a good cook. It doesn't have to take a lot of time. I promise you, when I take clients, I'll come to their house on a Sunday morning. We do a little kitchen intervention together. We make a list of meals for the week. We come back, we cook and prep. The whole thing takes three hours and they are set for five days. So it doesn't have to take a lot of time. It's that we have this mental block about, oh, it's going to be hard. It's going to be time. It's going to be something new. And so there's a little learning curve. And once you get the hang of it, you're like, oh, my God, I am no longer wasting food. Buy better food. Have a plan for the food you buy. And eat all the food you buy. And there probably is some better takeout than others. The problem is there's just a lot of 
There's a lot of mystery stuff in prepared food. You just don't know what you're eating. Or the quality of the oils used. You know, if you have a great um, organic restaurant, that's probably a good choice. But even then, the sodium, you can't control all that stuff when, when the food's coming from somewhere else. Yeah. Kristen, thank you so much for being here today. I really appreciate it. The pleasure was all mine. <laughs> now we have to get going because I'm going to take you to my pantry. <laughs> uh, to learn more about Kristen, you can visit our website at www.shesaidshesaidpodcast.com. There you will find links to Kristen's website and many of her amazing projects. You can also follow She Said, She Said on social media, on Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, and Twitter. And if you're enjoying the podcast, please be sure to subscribe. And if you have time, leave us a review. We would love to hear from you. As always, thanks so much for listening.